and welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. Before we get to the show, let's get the pleasantries out of the way. First of all, our website. If you want more information about our little podcast, go to wearethecontrarians.com. That's where you'll find links to our old episodes, to our Patreon channel, and to our awesome Contrarians merch. You can show your support by buying a Contrarians mug or a pillow. I like the laptop bags myself. Second of all, if you enjoy the show, tell your friends. Or even go a step further and leave us a five-star review on whatever platform you use to listen to your podcasts. Finally, if you want to reach out directly to us, that's what social media is for. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at Contrarian Prime, or check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime. Julio runs our official Twitter account at Contrarian Prime, but if you want to give me a piece of your mind or just want to banter about pro wrestling, you can follow me at Contrarian Alex. That's it. That's our intro. Now, time for the show. This is And we are recording for Contrarian's Corner for Paris, Texas. Hello, and welcome to the Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. My name is Alex, joined as always by my eternal road trip partner, Julio Oliveira. We're driving through the barren wastelands of Texas in this one. Once again, Texas depicted as uh, inhumanly (laughs) as possible. (laughs) All the way back out to LA, you know, had a recent stopover in LA uh, for myself personally and in our after hours on our patron page. And uh, we wind up there again. Uh, and I think that's a decent segue into uh, this is brought to us by one of our wonderful patrons. And we'll get to that in just a moment. Uh, but Julio, you have seen Paris, Texas once or twice before, correct? Once, once, a long, long time ago, before I lived in Texas. Therefore, the idea that there was a town called Paris, Texas didn't really affect me one way or the other. I think that when you live in Texas, you're like, what? <laughs> it's it's a little bit more mind-blowing. Kind of like what happens in the movie. When they finally reveal, like, Paris, Texas, everybody's like, Paris, Texas? Mm-hmm. There's a Paris in Texas? I think I've driven through it once. Did you resist the urge to buy a lot? I think it would have been before I saw the movie, so I didn't have the, the wherewithal to... <laughs> take any good pictures or anything like that maybe when you finally leave austin alex you can just settle in paris texas hey man i'm not above it it'd be ironic it would uh but we both own this on criterion blu-ray and i believe mm-hmm. that's how we both watched it it well surpasses the welcome 90 minute mark and we'll get to that here shortly <laughs> pop quiz hot shot what's the spy number on paris texas criterion uh, edition i don't know but what i do know is that it's in the collection where uh, in my collection where it belongs it's not some <laughs> alphabetical <laughs> bullshit i have my criterions arranged by spine number so i know they i know it's where it needs to be um <laughs> i mean this is a beloved film and this is one that has definitely become popularized with age and uh it was very you know heralded at the time it won the palm d'or and People were pretty gaga about it, but I, I definitely know, especially members of our generation have come to adore this with time. So, I mean, we can jump right into it, but first, I, I, I do think we need to explain what it is we're doing here for any new listeners. Any Paris, Texas aficionados before we launch into Contrarian's Corner so they know exactly what they're getting themselves into. Uh, Actually, I would say even before you do that, Alex, because I don't want another La Jete fiasco. Do you know how you pronounce the name of the director? <laughs> um, is it Win Winders? Wenders? 
or like Vim, like more of like a V, Vim vendors, something Maybe. like something like that. Vim. Look, I, there's a video here on. Uh, he is. Ger- I mean, he is German. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm. I'll follow your lead on this one, Julio. I'll follow the non-native English speaker. <laughs> well, I'll follow the Google lead. Hang on. Vim Wenders. Vim Wenders. Vim Vim Wenders. Why not? Mowich. Jesus. All right. Well, (laughs) Vim Wenders, written by um, L.M. Kit Carson. Kit Carson, of course, uh, a stalwart at the XCW independent wrestling promotion in Denton, Texas, many years ago. Not the same person, but uh, also penned. uh, Oh, fuck yes. This dude also, he went from Paris, Texas. His next movie he wrote was Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. Who is this? Sam Shepard? <laughs> yeah. Sam Shepard, the co-writer. That's the one I was going to get to next. And if you just look at Sam Shepard, you know he wrote a movie like this. <laughs> wrote a kind of slow moving, artistic, but still dignified film about. He is a typewriter. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So we got Vim Wenders down. We got the pronunciation rocking and rolling. L.M. Kit Carson, who we just learned moved from this to working with Toby Hooper with Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. And then, of course, the incomparable Sam Shepard. So that's the trio that comprised, uh, that came together, I should say, to make this movie. Uh, Myself and Julio come together to make The Contrarians. And what we do here is Rage Against the Rotten Tomatoes Machine. That is our battle cry. We will find a movie on Rotten Tomatoes that is highly rated, uh, a lot of times known as Certified Fresh. And what we will do is cut that movie down to size, discuss maybe why its rating is a bit undeserved, or maybe some of the things the critics may have swept under the rug, be it a boring approach to storytelling, cinematography, bad acting, uh, questionable soundtrack, score, narrative, whatever we can find to to make a case for maybe why that score isn't truly deserved. In the case of Paris, Texas. Long run times. Long run times. In the case of Paris, Texas, which is certified fresh at 94%, that's what we'll be doing. Uh, Conversely, in alternating episodes, we'll find a movie on Rotten Tomatoes that is lowly rated. We usually shoot for about 30% and below. Those nasty green splotches known as rotten. And as you could guess, we'll make a case for that film's positive merit. Do just the opposite of what I said. We'll find uh, positive things to say about acting, storytelling choices, bold direction, whatever it takes to, to beef up a movie's profile. Our mission statement, we do it for two reasons. One, Rotten Tomatoes scoring system is what it is, uh, but a lot of people don't really know what goes into that in the sense of what comprises a score. It doesn't just mean 94% of the movie is good in the case of Paris, Texas. And, you know, Rotten Tomatoes themselves don't really go out of their way to explain this to people. So Julio and I have knighted ourselves as those responsible in society for saying, hey, this 11% movie might have some good shit in it. Uh, and then also, you know, art is subjective. You can be as over the moon about something or as just downright cynical about something if you truly set your mind to it and choose to be. So for the first part here, Contrarian's Corner of Paris, Texas, we will be bringing this son of a bitch down to size. Julio, if listeners want to know how we really feel about the film we're discussing, the movie du jour, they just have to stick around for part two, uh, the second part of our episode. That is correct. The second part of every episode, aptly titled Real Talk, is where we tell you how you really feel. Like I said to Alex, I watched Paris, Texas a long time ago, back when I was a film student. The world was my oyster. I couldn't have cared less about what's happened in this little town with this dude and his kid. 
I'm an older man now, and maybe, maybe I experience parasexes differently. You would hope so, but you never know. Maybe, because I'm older, I have even less patience for it. <laughs> we'll find out. Alex, I don't know. I know you watched it. I know you own the Criterion, but I don't know if this is the kind of movie that just would bore you to tears, or if this is a movie that would awaken the inner Texan in you the way that the Chainsaw Massacre movies do. So it should be a very interesting real talk. And of course, that's also where you find out how the person that demanded this movie feels. Because uh, our patrons get to, when they want to, they get to express their their feelings also uh, in that part of the show. And we should go ahead and give a shout out here. Who is the wonderful patron of ours that brought this uh, and threw it on our desk and said, dance, monkeys, dance? <laughs> this comes courtesy of patron Cold Stone Steve Austin. Alex, do you think that's Stone Cold Steve Austin undercover? I think old Steve probably has a lot more on his plate and his agenda. Uh, currently. He doesn't have time for a two and a half hour movie about a small town in Texas. <laughs> oh God, I you know I would pay to hear Steve Austin review Paris, Texas. So, so you got this cat, Harry Dean Stanton, right? And <laughs> like, it'd be awesome. Uh, but uh, I have a bit of a hard time believing that's who we're dealing with here. So, uh, if it is, what's up, Steve? If not, hello and thank you, Cold Stone. That's uh, famously how Mike Tyson said Stone Cold. He was so excited at the 98 Royal Rumble. He said, oh, Cold Stone's my man. And so from there, an entire creamery was born. <laughs> and probably our patron. That's right. That's right. Regardless, whoever you are, thank you for the contribution. And thank you for uh, officially adding Paris, Texas to Contrarian's canon. It was time. You know, yeah. <laughs> we've had dinosaurs and time travel this month so far in the Contrarians. It was time to take aim at something a little more respectable. <laughs> this is it. This is Paris. Looks just like Texas to me. It is. Paris, Texas? It's right here on the map. There's really a place called Paris, Texas? It's right here. All right, Julio. Well... No time like the present, so let's get into it. 94% of Rotten Tomatoes. What were the critics saying about this? What have they been saying for, man, this is what, 36 years old? It's almost as old as you are. I, I'm sorry. This is almost 40 years old. It'll be 40 next year. So, it's almost as old as I am. Premiering, uh, and this is also <laughs> extremely time relevant, premiering at Cannes on May 19th of 1984. So we're recording this on May 24th, so uh, just past the anniversary. Again, the trio brought us together. Vim Wenders, L.M. Kit Carson, Sam Shepard, starring Harry Dean Stanton, uh, Natasha Kinski, Dean Stockwell, uh, Ori Clement, and Hunter Carson. Man, those opening credits are a hoot because we get uh, with, <laughs> we get an and with, we get an introducing, <laughs> and an as a guest. Did you take note of any of this? Because I was just losing my mind during the opening credits. I was distracted by the MAGA hat. <laughs> on everything Stanton's head. He was showing up 30 years early to the party. Can you imagine if uh, if Trump is a big Paris, Texas fan and that's how it all started? Dude, that would fucking... Like, I, I live for that shit. <laughs> like, when someone says something that's really weird or, like, really just unexpected and obscure, like, Trump is... Like, imagine that shit, dude. Like, at one of his fucking rallies. You know... <laughs> The state of things reminds me a lot 
of my favorite film, Paris, Texas, with the wonderful <laughs> Harry Dean Stanton and the huge Dean Stockwell. And you know, like he makes some analogy <laughs> about like the morals of the country and you know the the wokeness has has nothing on. <laughs> I want to tell you a story about a man, a man named Travis Henderson. <laughs> he walked all the way from Houston to Los Angeles. I can't get that out of my mind now. The idea that Trump's favorite movie is Paris, Texas. And that he that he would be so eloquent about it. Yeah, for real. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, no, Alex, I, I was, like I said, distracted by the opening credits. Mm-hmm. But uh, before I... I go all out on my MAGA jokes. Uh, let's go to the quotes, because this is at 94%. It's as fresh as they come, in a way. Uh, we're going to start with Kirk Honeycutt from Escondido Times Advocate, California, who says, Paris, Texas is the cinematic equivalent of a symphony. The film is composed in movements that chart the emotional lives of its characters, of haunting images and anxious silences, of gestures, landscapes, weird juxtapositions, and epiphanies. <laughs> God, what a boring-ass review. You should have used the word elevated somewhere in there. I was tolerating it until he got to juxtapositions. I was like, come on. That word has an X in it. Too much. <laughs> uh, next, Jeffrey M. Anderson from Combustible Celluloid says, Paris, Texas is that rare thing, a movie of intelligence and beauty and poetry, but also based on emotionally believable characters and a forward-moving narrative thrust. Do you think he watched the TV edit, Alex? Yes. And that's why he thinks it it actually moves forward? There has to be a 90-minute cut of Paris, Texas. The the cut that doesn't have Dean Stockwell in it. (laughs) I I would think there was some, you know, shortened version, truncated version of this. You know, that's we've talked about certain movies throughout our run that they would cut it down and then send it to theaters. Because, you know, it's just like, eh, we don't need this shit. That movie starts with Harry Dean Stanton and the kid on the run. Yes. <laughs> That's it. It's the literal last 90 minutes. Um, Christopher Long from Movie Metropolis says, One of the few films that has captured the beauty of the American Southwest in all its rolling desert glory. Obviously, they're not including Houston in this description. <laughs> <laughs> now, like, the South is, like, literally the most vilified place in the nation, so... <laughs> man I, I mean there is uh, having traveled pretty much all over the state of texas and it does take quite a while there is a, a certain beauty and charm to like the border towns and kind of the more vast lands of texas i i don't think that's to me a charm and beauty that would translate to everybody i think if you know someone from new york city came and went to eagle pass or something they'd be like what the fuck is this but um so I, I can understand kind of what they're going for. And at this point in time, too, this is, like you said, this is almost 40 years ago. So You they, couldn't look this up on the internet. Oh, well, yeah, exactly. Vim Wenders <laughs> is like, there ain't no Google Maps, motherfuckers. I'm going to show you what it's like down here. <laughs> Let me show you this exotic land bordering Mexico. Uh, all right. And we're going to close with Catherine Rambal from the Detroit Free Press, who says, Paris, Texas, despite its history of last-minute rewrites, is unsentimental adult entertainment. Alex? Oh, that, that's porn. <laughs> that, <laughs> yep. I mean, there are some porn scenes that I'm sentimental about, but, you know, that for the most part, what you're describing is pornography. Yeah, did she, did she watch the 
X-rated version of Paris, Texas, where Harry Jeez. Dean Stanton tries all 40 booths before he finds <laughs> Natasha Kinski. Just cranks Rod six times throughout the course of the movie. <laughs> um, all right. Well, those are the quotes. We'll have some rotten quotes and Stone Cold's comments during real talk. But now we are ready for Contrarian's Corner. Take us away, Alex. I want to come with. I want to find her too. When do we go? All right. Well, the plot of this is fairly simple for a two and a half hour long movie. So, Julio, I think we may bounce around pretty quickly, but find things that you and I can uh, fixate on. So, as we do from time to time, we rely on our good friends at Wikipedia. I will do so again here for the opening paragraph of the plot summation. Travis Henderson is seen wandering through West Texas deserts, bewildered and holding an empty gallon jug of water. My note immediately says no country question mark. Cause I just thought of Llewellyn <laughs> carrying the jug of water through the desert. He wanders into a convenience store, opens a freezer and starts eating ice before losing consciousness. A European doctor examines Travis and discovers that he is a mute. The doctor goes through Travis's wallet, finds a card with a phone number on it, calls the number, which belongs to Walt Henderson, Travis's brother. Travis played by Harry Dean Stanton, Walt played by Dean Stockwell. Harry Dean's in rough shape here at the beginning of this movie. And I guess this is a good place to start. This doctor character is not consistent with anything tonally the rest of the movie. Am I wrong saying that? Because that's immediately what I thought. If he's trying to put on a Mexican accent, it's terrible. Do you think this is just because, like we said, Vim Wenders is European. You said he's German? Yes. Okay, so you think this is just one of his actors from his German movies he brought over to America? Like, just just do your best. Just give it a shot. <laughs> yeah. You know, we, we watched uh, what would be like a Texas movie at this point. I'm trying to think. He watched like one John Wayne movie. And he's like, do that. Just <laughs> see what comes of it. It's all on the wardrobe. Let the wardrobe transform you into That's this. That's right this Texan doctor. What what did you think when you, when you watched this? Were you like, oh, okay, so this is going to be a, an instance where this is the bad guy and the movie is going to be about Dean Stockwell trying to rescue his brother from the clutches of this, this doctor? I didn't think he was Mr. Sinister or something. I was just kind of like, <laughs> this character is kind of weird. I, I don't really know where this is going. Because by that point, we also learned that he already escaped. He, he went out walking again. No, um, he, he does have Mr. Sinister vibes. Because he has him, before he calls Dean Stockwell, when he's examining uh, Harry Dean Stanton. And uh, he's talking to him. And doesn't he call him boy? Like, anytime an adult man calls another adult boy, it's just bad news. So I thought that, oh, man, he's... Harry Dean Stanton has wandered into the layer of of evil here and we're in for some deliverance type of shit. Dean Stockwell's going to have to come in guns blazing and, you know, it's going to be a proper Western. None of that happened. Could you buy Dean Stockwell toting like a six shooter and just going to town? Alex, I'm going to be honest. I don't buy Dean Stockwell in anything. If it's not Quantum Leap or maybe uh, uh, Blue Velvet, <laughs> his previous appearance in The Contrarians. That's right. Uh, I don't. I, there's. A, he's just to me. Dean Stockwell uh, trying to learn his lines. <laughs> That's what it seems like. He's never ready <laughs> when when they start rolling. Everybody else is ready to go, and Dean Stockwell is still kind of like getting into second gear. So no, I don't. I wouldn't buy him as a, as a cowboy that comes to the rescue. And I have a really hard time buying him as the brother of Harry Dean Stanton. 
they don't even look alike. So even not even that, he doesn't even have that going for him. He tells his uh, Dean Stockwell, this is his French wife, that he's got to go down to Terlingua, Texas. To they found Travis, so we learned that you know he's someone that was missing, and comes down, gets him. He uh, he finds him, I should say, after he goes to the hospital or the local clinic there. And picks him up, and he's not talking, not talking, not talking. They find a hotel. Walt says he's going to go back to the town, get him some clothes, and he does. And I don't know why he thought it was a good idea to leave him alone. <laughs> yep. So true psychopath behavior, though, from Travis as he leaves the water running when he just leaves the, the <laughs> hotel room. Walt comes back and observes the, the scene left behind, and it's like, this water shouldn't be running. And then <laughs> follows the train tracks tracks down travis again and off they are uh, or so we think he's not talking not talking not talking and uh throughout this portion we learn just solely through walt things about uh the family dynamic he, they thought he was dead they want to know what happened to him they want to know what happened to his wife uh jane is her name and we learn of a of hunter who is a little boy he's seven years old and he is actually Travis's son, but Walt and his wife Anne have been raising them as his own. It's literally like it's literally Dean Stockwell talking at a brick wall for fifteen minutes. <laughs> yes, every now and then looking at Vin Wenders off camera and going like, "Can you please give me something? <laughs> can I get a reaction from anybody so I can keep going?" Uh, but this thing with the kid—that's it's weird, right? It's it's kind of a uh, why why would you like you're his uncle. Just, just be his uncle. I, I, I thought it was weird that you know he calls him dad. Obviously, he knows that he has a a, a dad and a mom that are not Dean Stockwell and his French wife because you know he sees the movies and everything. So it just felt weird that he would take his brother's son and just take him as his own instead of just you know it can be his nephew and still live with him. Is that just my Peruvian sensibilities like coming through? Like, do, do you feel like that was like a normal course of action? Yeah, I mean, if they thought he was like shoot dead and they, they, nothing was going to come of it, then yeah, it was for tax reasons. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> uh, sometimes the noble eye is best. You have to take a boy and tell him what <laughs> what he needs to know and what he doesn't need to know. Um, he calls him dad, but it seems like he's made it clear before that his dad is Travis. Right, but which isn't that makes confusing. It, yeah, no, I was about to say, it's what makes it even more fucked up. You either own it 100% or you just kind of like, don't. You just say, you know, you don't call me dad, you call me uncle or popo or some shit. Uh, <laughs> What's his name in Quantum Leap? I, I don't know. You're more of a Quantum Leap person than I am. Al. Yeah, it's Al. So she just asked him to call him Al? Yeah. Call me Al. Why? Quantum Leap. Haven't you seen Quantum Leap? That kid's is you know he's fucked up from the beginning so just a reference to quantum leap is not gonna kill him uh, but yeah it's it's you're right in the sense that if they think that that travis is dead then for legal protections right you want the kid to have your last name i guess <laughs> to to be listed as your dependent but it's really confusing because later in the movie it's revealed that uh, dean stockwell's wife had been in contact with Hunter's mom the entire time. So was this, did she give permission for this? It just seems like a very complicated way to raise a child. But of course, this movie is just a series of examples of how not to raise a kid. And when said kid is left in your supervision, 
how absolutely to avoid acting. <laughs> yes. <laughs> how to make sure he comes out of the experience even worse than he came in. Who is that guy? You know him? Yeah, he's my father's brother. No. They're both brothers. No, they're both they're both fathers. All right, so we got to get Travis to L.A. so we can figure out what the fuck's going on. He does start talking. He mentions Paris. He wants to go to Paris. Dean Stockwell's like, what the fuck are you talking about? We're, we're in North America. We can't go to Europe. Uh, and eventually explains, you know, it's this is where we learn. It's part of Texas where he owns a plot of land and where their mother was from, yada, yada, yada. And the I guess it does come back into play. And their dad, when telling people where he met their mother, would say Paris jokingly to make people think it was paris france and then uh, reveal that it was actually paris texas it's not that good of a story but that is like <laughs> such a small town thing of everyone who's ever like spent a considerable amount of time or grew up in a small town knows someone who has the same fucking story that they tell every time so it's it's fairly relatable in honesty it's not that good of a story as the alternate tagline for paris texas <laughs> he was rejected by the studio last minute <laughs> and then they settled on there are no clean getaways <laughs> uh, it's kind of fucked up that uh, Travis and Dean Stockwell's dad had that joke about like pretending that their mom was French and then Dean Stockwell went and married an actual French woman makes you think Julio you need a whole other movie to unpack that <laughs> but uh Vin Wenders is not interested in that side. <laughs> I don't think he even made the connection. <laughs> so they got to get to LA. They're going to hop on a plane, but that's a no-go because Travis won't fly and they need to get the same rental car back. Just let's fucking, let's pick up the pace here. Uh, my note here says artsy planes, trains, and automobiles because <laughs> it kind of is here for a second. You know what I mean? Okay. So this movie, and I, I, I think I mentioned it on the previous episode when I was kind of announcing what we're doing, right? I thought that this was a road trip movie, and I understand why that was my recollection, because there's a lot of road tripping in this movie, but it's not... It's interrupted. And there's no Tom Green or Brecken Meyer. No. <laughs> but did you feel at this point in the movie that it was like, oh, okay, we're spending all this time setting it up because the movie is going to be about Dean Stockwell and uh, Harry Dean Stanton driving from Texas to California. That's the movie. Right? Like, that's why we spent so much time setting it all up. <laughs> and then that's not what happened. It's like, okay, cut. They're in California now. They really do, like, uh, set the grounds for not just a road trip movie, but a road trip movie where we learn about these two characters, their relationship, and where it all went wrong. Mm -hmm. And instead, we use, like, an hour to have that go nowhere before we actually get on track of what this movie is going to be. Poor Dean Stockwell spends the entire movie just trying to to crack the case, trying to get Harry Dean Stanton to spill the beans. It's like, where have you been for four years? What happened? What happened? And we're like, all right, that's what it's building towards, right? Eventually, he's going to tell it. And it's like, it's not even that. It's such a different movie by the time that it gets to the end that Harry Dean Stanton ends up telling the story of what happened to somebody who already knows what happened. <laughs> and it's not Dean Stockwell. So then they drive, but there's really no, like, fun to it they just eventually get they talk about hunter for a bit and then they get to la like there's no payoff to them not taking the plane right it, it, you could have just they could have had this conversation while sipping champagne in first class 
I mean, Dean Stockwell's uh, business is doing well. Harry Dean Stanton explaining the the hot fudge Sunday that Seinfeld bit. It's just those two instead. Where it's like the trick is to have the hot fudge at the bottom. That way, every spoonful gets an equal distribution of hot fudge. Uh, <laughs> and then that would take you know thirty seconds versus the twenty minutes of just fucking nonsense that we have here. Thirty minutes of Dean Stockwell telling him that he's adopted his son, and Harry Dean Stanton, yeah, completely it, underwhelmed by it. It's exposition meandering it's just kind of like telling the same shit over and over again then we finally get to la and now we're watching planes because the <laughs> hendersons walt and ann live by i guess lax maybe burbank but they live by an airport that's just constantly flying overhead and uh he's trying to reconnect with hunter and it's like man it's a day late and a dollar short for that shit brother uh <laughs> So, Julio, you and I have been known to be fairly uh, critical of child actors on here. Like we said, they can't all be Jonathan Lipnicki, Bailey Madison, et cetera, et cetera. Here we have the young Hunter, Hunter Henderson, and then uh, for a brief period, the even younger Hunter, played by Justin Hogg. But the one we we work with for the majority of the movie is uh, Hunter Henderson. And, you know, he ends up sweeping the rug out from under these other supposed seasoned actors. Uh, and I think a big part of it is, you know, there's uh, an inherent sympathy for a child in this situation. But also, when you add into the actual story, there's more sympathy because he is just a kid. He's a little boy. He's trying to make the most of it. And then you have, like, Travis, who's acting like a baby, and Walt <laughs> and Anne, who are just now realizing the ramifications of what they did when they brought this child in their life and started raising him as his own. It, these people have no real grasp on reality and Hunter's mm -hmm. just kind of like trying to patch things together and do the best he can. And in the process, his acting is pretty fine too. So he becomes in many ways the MVP of this, despite, you know, all the praise going elsewhere. Yeah. I think it's a combination of all those things. They, he ends up being the character that acts the most realistically. Everybody else, you just, the big problem with this movie is that it keeps the main character ends up being Travis, right? And and it keeps Travis as this cipher. The movie's built around the mystery of what's going on with Travis and why did he shut down? What happened to him? And and so uh they keep that mystery throughout the entire movie, but he's still our protagonist. So it's really hard to get a, a, a grasp of him. Am I supposed to relate to him? Am I supposed to understand why anybody would care? Like Dean Stockwell, I understand he's related to him, but but the kid, you know, uh, why would he feel any sort of connection to this to this man? So it, the way that Hunter acts fits with the situation, whereas like the way that everybody else acts doesn't, and it's a lot easier to connect with a kid that's surrounded by bad adults than to connect to anybody else in the movie. So that makes sense. I have this theory, though, Alex, that Dean Stockwell, when he gets a phone call saying that, that, that tells him that his brother is alive, that they found him, that's where he sees this as an opportunity to get rid of this kid that he's been raising. <laughs> because <laughs> as his French wife accuses him of, he seems a little too eager to push them together. Right, like to speed up the the reconciliation between father and son, uh, instead of kind of like letting things happen at their own pace and takes time. He's like, no, why don't you go pick him up from school? And why don't you do this? And why don't you do that? And then uh, I think it's because over the past four years he's realized that he doesn't really want to have a kid, and so thank God that Harry Dean Stanton shows up again so he can take care of this uh, 
the way that he should, you know, as, as a responsible father. That's, so, that's what's missing the end. Uh, so there's a parking garage that's parallel to the one that Travis is on at the end that um, Dean Stockwell's on watching the mom reconnect with, with the son. And, and then he, he just, you know, forearm across the brow. Woo! <laughs> Lights a cigar. I want you to know. I, I want you to know. I acted that out like while I was thinking it. Like I literally <laughs> took my arm and wiped it across my brow. But yeah, he. Yeah, and then he lights his cigar, and then his car. This is where we learn that the top comes down, and so like he's got a convertible <laughs> and drives through town back home. Well, actually, he makes a stop in that Houston strip club. Yes, and um, the the credit the mid credit scene. <laughs> Where the the credits get pushed to the right side of the screen, and then a little window pops up as him and his Bucky stop, stopping getting <laughs> jerky and gummies and a sixty four ounce Dr Pepper. He's on the on a payphone with his wife. He's like, couldn't find them. Sorry, I guess they're gone, honey. <laughs> buy buy the new linens. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. You keep promoting this father-son business between It's them. not business. Travis is his father, and Hunter is his son. So it becomes the story of Travis trying to reconnect with Hunter. And Hunter's like, who the fuck's this weirdo? And he's also like, I'm seven, dog. You're like at least 62. <laughs> Why is my dad so old? <laughs> I was glad that, I mean, the movie should have addressed it much, much sooner, but I was glad that eventually they explained, they acknowledged that, yes, there is a massive age difference here between Harry Dean Stanton and Natasha Kinski. Brother, you know, this movie comes out tomorrow, canceled immediately. <laughs> <laughs> but were you uh, kind of pleasantly surprised? I'm not pleasantly surprised, but, you know, you took, you, you tip your hat when they played that home movie and you're like, man... Harry Dean Stanton's wife was a babe. Oh, yeah. Outkick this coverage. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it happens. Small town Texas. Hell, yeah. When I lived in a small town, the times I have in Texas, I've outkicked my coverage. I was way more fucking charming than Travis Henderson. I'll tell you that much, though. <laughs> you actually spoke in full sentences? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I, I also was a, a big fucking nerd like Walt Henderson. You know, I was the head of the RTVF club at my high school. So I probably did say really self-righteous things like, oh, I've got a Super 8. You know, we can <laughs> go watch the home videos on that. Home films, as Cam on Modern <laughs> Family calls them. And it is like, it's just, we're watching literal Super 8 footage that uh, is shot. And it's one of the supplements, actually, like the raw footage of it on the Criterion. But again, you, do you know what we could be doing like that's productive during this time <laughs> or have just shot actual flashback scenes and then we get to see like extremely dangerous portrayal of uh harry dean stanton letting the baby drive the car it's like what the hell, <laughs> what the hell are you doing? uh yeah this this goes on for too long you they make the point pretty early on it's like oh that's you know i, I understand the purpose we have to see Jane. We've been hearing about Jane for about an hour of movie now. It's time to see her. And, and like I said, it's a big revelation. It's like, she's super hot. It's Natasha Kinski. How did this happen? It adds another layer to the mystery. And then you get a brief moment of connection where Hunter looks at Harry Dean Stanton. Harry Dean Stanton looks at him. And they both acknowledge, yep, 
mom is hot. That's where the scene should have ended. But then we they keep going on and on. And it's like there's there's nothing else to be learned from uh Dean Stockwell's home movies or films. No. Oh films, thank you. Uh that's a story from when I was a baby. I don't know if I was like an infant, but we lived in a very small Texas town and my dad would put me on his lap and like uh I don't I don't I, I don't remember obviously because I was a very young the whole story is like i guess he would drive through town with me on his lap and like you know my hands on the wheel or some shit and then my mom found out and freaked the fuck out and like yelled at him about it and <laughs> they haven't brought that up in years but i remember when i was younger my dad would bring that up and joke about it my mom it was still like something she would get mad about it was it was always funny it was a good go-to it was your dad uh i married a french woman joke yeah i guess so <laughs> And it's, you know, the story just becomes more deranged every time. It's like, all right, calm down, Pop. <laughs> uh, we get a Star Wars reference, which is nice. You know what I'm talking about? Hunter says it happened a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Yes. <laughs> I legitimately, it is almost incomprehensible for me to process that when this movie came out, obviously Star Wars had already it became fucking star wars but a year after jedi came out it's still conceivable that a lot of people had not seen all three star wars movies um i don't think that audience is going to see paris texas but i it, to me just the idea that a character could say a long time ago in a galaxy far far away and then the audience not immediately go star wars <laughs> is so tickling to me it would be the and, equivalent of somebody making a reference to something that's still pretty pretty recent, right? Like a, a, a trilogy that just ended. Yeah, the Paris... <laughs> oh, fuck. What's a good line Corey has in Halloween Ends? <laughs> I'm trying to think of... <laughs> You're just an old man. Yeah. Uh, just a mask. Give it to me. I need it. No, but it would basically be like... Uh, somewhat like in the Paris, Texas remake, it, the hunter will say, "I am inevitable." <laughs> well, no, he would be talking about Dean Stockwell grounding him and be like, "He is inevitable." There you go. All right, then we get this ridiculous sequence where the housekeeper helps Travis in with a makeover, and he shows up looking like a trombone player and fucking a ska band. <laughs> Was that ska band from the eighties? The Grown Ups. He looks like someone who would have been part of the the ska movement of the eighties and early nineties. And then he goes and like he almost looks like a pimp actually. And he sh- he's like he's standing outside of this school, just standing there with his hands in his pockets, waiting. And the kids come out like, "Who the hell is that?" Calling the cops right away. You're telling me a man like that stands outside of a school today and doesn't get the the cops called on him? I call bullshit. So he goes into this sort of a, he shows up at the school, he doesn't get arrested, and then he does this sort of a Charlie Chaplin bit. <laughs> I couldn't think of a way to describe it. That's fucking perfect, man. He's just like walking backwards and running into trash cans and just moving his mustache back and forth. That's all That's all it takes to win this kid over. And the kid like reciprocates. He's like, whoa, like does a, like, you know, borderline pratfalls and shit. It's just... What is this accomplishing? I don't know. It's, it's, uh, 
It's Vin Winters going, remember that doctor from the beginning of the movie? <laughs> this is a little bit more of that type of uh, tone. So it took a few rounds of you know trial and error. The first time that Travis attempts to walk Hunter home, you know he kind of knows Salzman goes home with his his friend, but the bonding has begun here, and then it goes to a level of just kind of like immediately out of control, where they go out for I don't know some sort of hamburger, maybe In and Out. It's L.A. after all, and then they just together devise this sting operation where they're going to go find. Uh, Hunter's mom, Travis's, you know, estranged wife or fiance, what have you. And they figure this out, right? Because Jane deposits a check monthly uh, to an account for Hunter. And so they know what bank that's at and they know what day of the month she goes. It was and a lot easier to find your lost mom before online banking was a thing. <laughs> like she has to be at the bank to make that deposit. Therefore, all we have to do is be at the bank. And they get like walkie talkies. Because they're in a truck, and I guess they're not close enough together. And then for like parts of the drive, he just lets them sit in the flatbed of the truck. The movie has thoroughly established that Travis has no business being anyone's father. At uh, the same time, though, it's trying. The movie's trying to make us get invested in this father-son relationship. But if you're a sane person, you're just hoping that somebody sees this behavior and uh, calls CPS, and <laughs> they just take Hunter away. Yeah, my note here says awful parenting. And then the next one, uh, Hunter basically explains the premise of Interstellar to <laughs> Harry Dean Stanton, where he talks about time travel and how uh, using the speed of light, you know, a, a child could be way older than their parent when the traveling is done, which is basically how Interstellar ends. Spoiler alert. Harry Dean Stanton uh, is like, who's Murph, though? <laughs> if he traveled at the speed of light... He would he would come back in an hour. He would be an hour older, but the little baby would be a very old man. Well, well how long would it take him to get to Houston? They show up. The one of those immediate Houston has to me. Um, Houston, Dallas, Chicago, because I've lived here so long. Austin, um, New York City. But just because that ride you take into Houston, man, when you get downtown and you see that, what I'm trying to say is one of the most identifiable skylines for me. So right when it hit, I was like, yep, that's Houston. <laughs> so you're going to say, when you it, see the strip club, yep, that's Houston. It's not, a, is it a, it's not a strip club, is it? It's like a brothel, like a peep show or something. Yeah. That, what is it? What's the correct terminology there? I guess, I mean, there is stripping going on, right? Just because Natasha yeah. Kinski, no, actually, she does do it. Just not for us. <laughs> but, uh, peep show. What, what do you call those places? Listeners. <laughs> what do you call those places where you go into a room and there's a glass separating you from the show and then, you know, the show happens? Let us know. Let us know. It doesn't mean that you have direct experience with those type of places. It just means that you're more well-read than either Alex or I. Yeah, that's... I. I don't know what name to give it. House of Ill Repute. How about that? <laughs> uh, now, Alex, I think it's worth noting before we go into this this establishment. Uh, by now, he has officially kidnapped Hunter. Yes. Even, I mean, it's still kidnapping. Even if the kid says, yeah, it's okay, I want to go. He has two adults that are officially his parents, and they were not asked for permission. 
And then uh, Hunter makes a call to let him know that he's okay, and then he hangs up on them. And that's the last we see of Dean Stockwell and his French wife. And that they're like, I guess what you would call like an appropriate level of concerned, but not overly concerned. That's why, see, this reinforces my uh, theory that Dean Stockwell actually wanted to get rid of the kid. Because he could have called the cops right away. His wife, especially, who seems to be the, the one that's the most upset with all this stuff, like she knows where they're going because she told she's the one that told uh, Travis about the bank and the deposits and all that. So she knows she could have just sent the police to intercept them. She knows exactly where they're going to be. And uh, that's it. Game over. The movie ends at 90 minutes. Everybody wins. <laughs> yeah, you're right. There's like a fucking hour left in this because they both fall asleep at the bank when they're on this heist because they've been driving all night. And then Jane shows up and they see her just like, you know, right at the last second. And then it turns into like full on stalking. They're like chasing her on the freeway. But, you know, Travis is quick to point out we don't want to get too close. You know, we might freak her out and she get into a wreck or something. So then we get to her place of work, brothel, peep show, strip club. Listeners, you're going to help us out with this. The, the official name of the business. We're not sure. And then he walks around for a while, confirms that it's her by going into one of these peep show rooms and talking to her very briefly. And then how does kind of, how does he get her in the room? That I that was not clear, right? Because he he first calls and asks for a blonde, a young blonde, and he gets a different. He doesn't get Natasha Kinski. He gets a nurse. Yeah, I assumed. Um, that he went to another room and made the call. And for whatever reason, they just cut that part out because this movie was running long. <laughs> That's the one thing that they cut. <laughs> Why not just have him have Natasha Kinski from the first place? You know, he calls. Oh, they only have one young blonde. That makes more sense. Well, then on top of that, like he wimps out and they go and spend the night in like a thrift store or something downtown or a, it's a laundromat because he gets wasted. Right? Yes. This is where he gets wasted. Yeah. And then just like explains all this shit about his parents' relationship to his son that are things that are kind of way over his head. Kid is seven. And yeah, for real. He doesn't need to hear about how your dad had the wrong idea about your mom. Like the story, which doesn't really come into play, like it doesn't have any sort of resonance with what happens next in the movie, but uh, is that yeah, the joke <laughs> that, that about his wife being French stop being a joke and at some point he it started bothering his mom and also it started his dad started really believing it is that that way saying that he he just built up this image of his mom that was not the reality and uh <laughs> hunter should have just gone like you're really drunk dad <laughs> go home <laughs> go home travis you're drunk and so we just basically take two we go back the next day and did it bother you alex that the floor was not sticky either of the times that he walked in Jesus Christ. <laughs> Let's be honest. This movie, it purports that it's happening in the real world. Like, if I'd seen a guy with a mop just kind of, like, walking out before he walked, I, I get it. But <laughs> A guy, like, with a mop and, like, a real dirty Houston Oilers ball cap, and he <laughs> walks by and he just kind of nods at Travis when he's coming in. <laughs> and so begins, I guess, what you could literally consider the last act of this movie, because there's, you know, 30, 40 minutes left in this. As Hunter wakes up to a uh, a tape recording from Travis saying, I have to go now. My home planet needs me. <laughs> and that he's going to make it right, but he can't be there because he made it so bad. And he goes back 
to the brothel, what have you, and is with Jane again. Can't even look at her. Turns around and then goes into what could have saved us two of the preceding hours of this film (laughs) and explains in vivid detail and monologue form what is an infinitely more fascinating story than what we just sat through. Yep. Like they light each other on fire and like strap cowbells to each other and shit. It's like, why am I not watching this movie right now? That This sounds like a, it's like a drowning Mona or something. It sounds like just a good old time at the theater. But instead, you know, it's delivered with all this really serious Shakespearean acting and conviction. And it's just like, all right, fuck off. Harry Dean Stanton seems just determined not to emote during this 30-minute sequence. He's telling a very harrowing story. He's basically telling the story of how his marriage fell apart and he was driven almost insane. And and he's just, it, it's almost like he's reading, <laughs> just he's in a book reading, telling the story of his life. Uh, Natasha Kinski is doing her best across the room, like behind the glass to kind of emote for the for both of them, but but you know, there's a, a two person job and one of them is not pulling his weight. During the course of like this dissection of what happened in their relationship, it it basically just became like a um uh not so uncommon story of we probably never should have been together in the first place, so we start to resent each other, our mind starts to play tricks on us about what the other one's doing, and then we just eventually grow to hate each other and it makes us ask uh it makes us act, excuse me, irrationally. But we have a kid anyway. <laughs> Well, yeah, but then also they're getting all like emotional about it and shit. And my note is just like, man, this relationship was fucked and neither <laughs> of these people should have custody of this kid. Yep. It's and not to mention he left this little boy alone in downtown Houston for an entire day. It is it is full on nighttime when uh, Jane gets back and finally has the reunion. And Hunter, again, being the most mature and grown up of anyone in this movie, is just like, welcome back. <laughs> You look like you need a hug. And then like a fucking Call of Duty player, Harry Dean Stanton is in the the top of the opposite (laughs) building. All he's like short is a sniper rifle in terms of just like watching out and picking his spots. And then he just leaves. He's he's stole Walt's car. (laughs) I mean, he also stole Walt's child. Walt's child. (laughs) His common law child. (laughs) (laughs) Is it what's the deal with uh Vin Wenders here? Is he is he behind this? Like th- does he think this is a happy ending? Is it that our our view of of uh parenthood and, and children and everything is has evolved so much in the 30, 40 years since this movie was made that we can see this and we very quickly realize that this is not good for the kid, right? To me, it just seems so obvious. And for him to make this the end point of the movie, like the, the, if there was justice in this world, that kid, I guess, given the circumstances, the best that can happen to him is that he goes back to Walt, Dean Stockwell, and, and his French wife. They, because they were raising him for four years, you know, and that's what he's used to, mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the movie kind of like bends over backwards to where he spends some time with his dad, then his dad abandons him again, and then he's left with this woman that he hasn't known for four years who can barely support herself apparently and who didn't really want him to begin with and yet this is supposed to be it it's framed as a happy ending and that's where maybe i'm misreading maybe wenders is trying to sell this as a tragedy but i didn't get that feeling didn't you feel that it was mm-hmm. supposed to be a happy ending 
I don't know, man. I, I a, guess. A German filmmaker criticizing America? <laughs> For what? Look at this shitty town, Houston, man. Come on. <laughs> These people can't raise kids. Uh, I, I guess. But, like, obviously, Walt and uh, Anne were able to. So Well, except that they yeah, let I, Travis kidnap their child. I mean, I, and then they were just kind of like, oh, that's a shame. <laughs> we had a good run. Yeah. Yeah, my thought would be it's supposed to be a happy ending, but it's hard to ignore all the signs of like, man, Hunter's in for a rough road ahead. Uh, they don't even call, they don't even have the courtesy to call Dean Stockwell to let him know what happened. <laughs> the, the, the alternate ending is Travis is about to get an I-10 and he looks <laughs> at the street corner and sees a payphone and then he looks in the ashtray and there's a quarter <laughs> and he knows he can call Walt and tell him what's up and then he just turns up the radio and... I don't know. Start singing along. <laughs> Girls just want to have fun. It's playing. <laughs> he smiles for the first time in the movie. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's it. <laughs> oh, fuck. Yeah, dude. That let's uh, for continuity. I need to make sure. Girls just want to have fun was 83. So that works. <laughs> then, man, now. And yeah, <laughs> big toothy grin from Harry Dean Stant to close us out. <laughs> And then, like, you know, it's the thing where it fades to black while the girls just want to have fun continues to play. And then uh, a Vim Wenders film, <laughs> Paris, Texas. Uh, just to blow your mind, Alex, I think Harry Dean Stanton is the serious version of Larry Hankin. Okay. I, I got that from this movie. Do you see it now? Uh, I could see that. Like yeah. the, the, when they make the biopic about Larry Hankin, like Harry Dean Stanton would play him, except not anymore because I think Harry Dean Stanton passed away. But in the in the alternate universe where that happens, like that, that would be who would play Larry Hankin, or Larry Hankin could play Harry Dean Stanton, I guess, in the comedy about his life. Larry Hankin has far more range, but uh... dude, Larry Hankin in that final scene at the at the peep show. <laughs> I can't unsee it, you asshole. I like this movie. <laughs> oh, that's that's fucking tremendous. Um, I mean, a, a convoluted tale, a very deep and thorough web was spun with this one. And uh, as I told Julio before we recorded this, I thought um, this was one of the most like able movies to do our whole shtick with and uh, I think we accomplished that with the first half. And I'm, I honestly don't know how Julio feels about this movie. So I'm very curious what we're going to uncover in the second half. So Julio, are you ready to steal Dean Stockwell's car and drive along to real talk? Yes. Let's, uh, let's drive across Texas, buy some land and steal a child. I mean, you joke, that could be fun. The contrarians <laughs> road trip. <laughs> All right, let's go to real talk. Thank you.